0: Here's another edition of the Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk with Melanie Cole. If you've suffered from knee or hip pain, you know how debilitating it can be, and it can keep you from taking part in the activities that you enjoy. But when this type of pain begins to really interfere with your daily life, it might be time to see a physician to assess the situation and see what can be done about it. My guest today is Dr. Linda Suleiman. She's an orthopedic surgeon at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Dr. Suleiman, what types of conditions are we talking about here today that would cause the knee or hip joint to break down and cause pain?
1: The type of condition we are talking about is the most common condition to affect the hip and knee, which is osteoarthritis. Other conditions that affect the hip and knee that can cause it to uh, break down or cause degenerative changes to the hip and knee are some inflammatory arthritis like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, But mainly, the most common cause is osteoarthritis.
0: So when somebody comes to you, what's diagnosis look like?
1: So when someone comes to me, they likely have had ongoing knee or hip pain. Um, The age population, you know, most patients or most people assume that arthritis only affects the older generation, but I believe because we're such an active younger generation with prior knee surgeries as kids like ACL reconstruction,
0: you know, we're seeing arthritis a lot earlier in patients who are between 40 and 50 um, and above. And if someone does have arthritis, maybe they were a young child that had ACL issues, playing soccer or something, and in their 20s and 30s, they've now got pain. What's the first line of defense that you like them to? to try before surgery is the discussion?
1: So we always attempt all forms of non-operative management, meaning physical therapy, which I'm a huge advocate of. Sometimes patients have um, knee pain due to the imbalance in the joint itself, so strengthening the muscles around the knee, strengthening the muscles around the hip um, is really important in rehabilitation. If they fail physical therapy, which we usually do for about six to eight weeks, and they're still having ongoing pain, the next line of defense is really an injection. Um, And I typically
0: use a corticosteroid injection. How many can people have? It's a very common question. And Dr. Suleiman, I'm an exercise physiologist, and I work with so many people that get a cortisone injection in their knee. And how many is always the question?
1: Sure. I think every physician is different as far as the number um, that they allow. Me personally, I think on average, we typically quote about three injections a year. And, you know, injections are not without risk. You know, we're putting a needle into the knee. So there's always risk of actually causing an infection, although very, very low risk of that.
0: And then if they've tried exercise and maybe arthritis medications, physical therapy, injection procedures... Then what does the discussion look like when you're discussing knee replacement?
1: So, you know, when we're discussing having a joint replacement, you know, the buzzwords I look for when patients talk to me about what are the next steps are, you know, my life is now debilitated. I can't exercise in the way I want to exercise. I can't walk for long distances. And I used to walk two, three miles a day as part of my exercise. When it comes to the point where the pain and limited range of motion and the functional debilitations occur is the time where we discuss a joint replacement, where we replace the arthritic portions of the knee, and this can be a total joint replacement, or sometimes it may only affect one component of the knee, which would be a partial
0: knee replacement. Tell us the difference between total and partial knee replacement as far as the procedure, recovery time. What can the patient expect?
1: So, a partial knee replacement is a quicker recovery, um, and you can imagine it's it's less invasive compared to a total knee replacement. So, a partial really means we're replacing one portion of the knee. So, this could be the medial portion or the inside portion of the knee. It could be the lateral portion of the knee, which is the outside portion of your knee, or the patellofemoral, which is where your kneecap um, meets your femur. And so all of those in isolation would be a partial knee replacement compared to a knee that has all the entire knee is in fact is um, affected by the degenerative changes. So that at the total knee, meaning the entire knee is resurfaced. So you could imagine when you only do one portion of the knee, it's a quicker recovery as far as getting back to work. Um, but as far as the actual post operative routine is the same for both.
0: And as you're talking about the difference between total and partial knee replacement, and we hear about all the different types of joint replacements available today, anterior, hip, and all of these things, how has joint replacement surgeries advanced in recent years? Tell us a little bit about what's different now than, say, 20 years ago.
1: I think the main difference now um, are actually things not specifically related to the surgical technique. I think we've gotten a lot better on the other aspects of a surgery. So, surgery is a multidisciplinary team. So, our anesthetics, we're doing spinal anesthetics instead of general anesthetics when we do joint replacements, and you can imagine that um, allows for patients not to be as groggy post-operatively because they're essentially not um, entirely asleep. And so, they're able to get up, move faster, there's less complications um, related to just doing a spinal anesthetic versus the general anesthetic. And then our pain regimen protocols, our pain management postoperatively with local injections, adductor canal blocks where we have regional anesthetic blocks have all allowed us to um, control patients' pain better in order for them to get back to their day-to-day activities and fully rehab um, joint replacements. And then you can imagine we're an implant-driven um, subspecialty with having hip and knee replacements, we use different types of implants. And over the last 20 years, the longevity of our implants have improved by um, manufacturing uh, techniques with our polyethylene liners um, and different portions of the actual implant have just gone gotten much better over the
0: last 20 years. That would have been my next question. So thank you for answering that about the implants. People wonder about those and airports and things and how long they'll last. So that was a great answer, doctor. Now, what would you like patients to do before surgery to prepare so that it will be a more successful outcome? And that includes exercise, maybe weight loss, or things they should prepare in their home before surgery so they go back home to a safer environment.
1: Sure. So, we typically send our patients home after surgery. It's it's very rare to go to a skilled uh, rehab facility anymore. It's actually safer to go home um, compared to going to a rehab facility. Um, to prepare for surgery, I actually prefer my patients to have dental cleaning done several weeks before surgery. It sounds kind of like a weird thing, but, you know, it decreases you know risk of infection when you've had your dental cleaning done um, beforehand as well as um, physical therapy and home exercises. So every one of my patients get home, gets home exercises to strengthen their quadriceps muscles, their hip flexor muscles, their abductor muscles, um, in order to prepare themselves um, physically for the surgery. And then, you know, when they come for their preoperative uh, visit with me, it's always important to have a family member or a friend who's going to be with you at your home for the first two weeks because um, it's important that your family or your friend who's at home with you really understands what you're about to go through, because surgery is not just the physical component. It's a lot of the mental well-being,
0: family support that makes for a successful surgery. That's really important points to make. And then when can they get back generally to their activity? So I typically see most of my patients back um, to
1: their full functional capability at six weeks. Um, although recovery occurs throughout your entire first year after surgery, um, but as far as get, being able to um, get back to your exercises that you were doing beforehand, um, really is that six weeks. So, you start physical therapy on day one of your surgery, and you have
0: physical therapy for those first six weeks, which allows for rapid recovery. And. What else would you like patients to know when that discussion comes up? What questions, Dr. Suleiman, would you like them to ask you about when they're considering a joint replacement, whether it's the knee or the hip? What do you want them to ask you?
1: You know, I typically like patients to ask me, you know, what type of activities can I do after surgery and which ones can I not do after surgery? So I think it's really important to understand what type of activities. You want to get back towards, and so that's one of the first questions I even ask a patient is, what do you hope to do after surgery? If you're someone who is a marathon runner and you want to get back to doing marathons, you likely won't be doing that after a knee replacement. Although you physically can do a marathon, the impact of running is detrimental to the longevity of the implant. So it's important to ask and have realistic expectations of, what can I get back to doing? The other question you always want to ask is what type of rehab protocols will you be participating in? It's always good to know what the expectation is for you after surgery if you know beforehand uh, what type of exercises I should know how to do. And those are the two main aspects, as well as whether you do minimally invasive techniques, which is the newest thing with joint replacements over the last 5 to 10 years. Doing minimally invasive joint
0: replacements allows for speedy recovery. Then wrap it up for us. It's really important as so many people suffer from pain in their hips and their knees. Dr. Suleiman, give us your best advice about keeping healthy hips and joints and knees in the first place so that maybe we don't have to consider a replacement.
1: The best thing you can do for yourself um, is actually weight loss when it comes to knee and hip osteoarthritis. The less you weigh is the one piece of information we know of how to prevent osteoarthritis is keeping your weight down. And that's and keeping a healthy lifestyle and decreasing impact activities. So those are the two things as far as preventative ways of trying to decrease your risk of developing arthritis is is weight loss as well as keeping a
0: healthy, active lifestyle with non impact activities. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us today and sharing your expertise and explaining what patients can expect when they are considering joint replacement surgery. Thank you again. You're listening to Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk. For more information on the latest advances in medicine, please visit nm.org. That's nm.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.